great to be here with you guys. It's fun to be back. I just wanted to start, uh, you know, I, I, this is my first time I've ever spoken in at the harbor, so I thought I'd just give a little bit of a history of my involvement at the harbor, because I know many faces, but some of you guys I don't. And actually, before I do that, though, can you put that picture up, Anita? I, I was driving here this morning, and I thought I had an extra five minutes, so I whipped over to Dane Street Beach. Is it up there? Oh, look at that. You guys live in paradise here in the North Shore. I'm serious. Am I plugged in? The screen? I'm all right. Am I coming through? All right, we, we live in Waltham now, and uh, I, I was born and raised on the North Shore, so I was born and raised in paradise, I like to say. And I only knew Waltham as like a sign on 95, and now I actually live down there. So I get to come up here and, and witness this sometimes. So it's so good to be back with you guys. Well, um, a few of my uh, key harbor moments, I just want to throw them out for you guys. So when I was, about 10 years ago, you guys started as a church, the harbor did. And I was a senior in college, and you guys started in that little house, 16 Atlantic Ave on the third floor. And I had a friend uh, who lived in the second floor, and so I would often go over to the, my friend's house on Sunday night, and we'd be doing dinner. And I remember sometimes, like 6 p.m., you start hearing the djembe going and, and the guitar going, and, you're, and I'm like, what are they doing up there? You see, at, at, at that time, my idea of church was 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock in a white steeple. You do your hymns, and you get your message, and you leave, right? That was my idea of church. And then I heard that there was like this house church thing happening in 60 Atlantic in the third floor, and my like, you know, I don't know if you guys have this, my cult meter in my head was starting to go off, like, this is really weird, what's going on up there? Funny, so that was, that was my first experience, then fast forward a year and a half, you guys are now in the YMCA on Cabot Street, and I get back into the, the area after being gone for a little while, and my, my, one of my best buddies, Keith Crass, started going to the harbor, and so I was like, where are you going to church now? And he invited me to come, and I went in. The first week, I was like, oh, I'm planning on visiting a bunch of churches, but went in for the first time and stayed there for the rest. And now I'm part of Antioch down in Brighton. So fun, fun, fun memories. I think of um, my time with Josh Booth. Is Josh in the house? Josh Booth, Josh and Sarah Booth, they were my first, uh, or Josh was my first life group leader, my faith group leader. And uh, man, we, we had the funnest, most eclectic group of guys. It was an all-guys group. And I, I still think back with such fond memories on my first uh, life group. We had Eddie, a homeless dude that lived in, in uh, Eddie and Chuck, both homeless guys that lived in the Beverly area. Uh, Sean Brennan, guy with the big beard on the back there. He was part of that first life group. Such good memories. Nate, my friend, sitting in the back as well. I look around, I'm like, oh, like literally five or six members of that first life group are still coming to this church. And it just brings amazing joy to my heart. I did uh, the Navigate, which is your discipleship school. You haven't been doing it this year, but it's a discipleship school. Uh, and I had an awesome time in doing Navigate. I had, we would do these things called touch points, and they were like small groups of either the guys or the girls. And in my second year, I had uh, an all-star uh, lineup in this touch point. I had Matt Schwabauer, who is a worship leader here. You guys all know him. He's out in California right now. Sean Brennan, who I just referenced, and then your very own Brian Carlson was in my touch point. I actually led him for a year, that's right, and we loved it. We, we had such a great time. I, I remember 
Now, Brian introduced this idea of doing shouting prayer, and we would just, instead of like, you know, praying like this, we just shout out our prayers to the Lord, because we know he enjoyed that, right? And so we just, all four of us, would be shouting and praying, yeah, this is awesome. Brian was dating Jade at that time. I, I prayed more and more for that guy to actually ask her out and, and, and go for it with her. She's an amazing woman, Brian, go for it. There was a prayer over, uh, over Brian and Jade and their beginnings of their relationship. So it's so fun. And then finally, Keith Crass. Many of you know Keith Crass. I hope you all get to know him. One of my best buddies in life. Uh, we were freshman roommates at Gordon College. God put us together, and we lived with each other for five, the next, over the next six years, we lived with each other five out of those six years in the same room, not just the same apartment. We had hundreds of hours of pillow talk. Um, but, but, you know, I just was sensing, like, just recently, there, there had been something that had come in between us in our relationship, and I was like, I was wondering what was going on, and so I texted Keith. I was like, Keith, how long have you been married to Sarah now? And he got back to me. He's like, I've been married six years. And I realized the thing that had come in between us was Sarah. <laughs> she was now his longest roommate. You know, it wasn't me anymore. I, I, I don't hold that place in Keith's life anymore. So anyway, man, I, I so much love to you guys. So it's so fun to be here. So fun to, to talk to you guys, encourage you, exhort you guys. We are in a series on 1 Thessalonians, and the passage that we're going to be looking at today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through 3, verse 13. Um, and, and today we're going to be talking about the risks and the rewards of relationships. And I want us to realize, ultimately what I want you guys to walk out of here with is the amazing realization there's awesome rewards in both eternity and in our presence for us to invest in relationships with other people. That's what I want us to walk away with. But first, before we read the passage, I'm just going to give us a little bit of context or remind us of the context. So whenever you read 1 Thessalonians, you should always read, or 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you should always read Acts 17. It's the narrative account of Paul actually going to Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, uh, and, and, and investing there. So just want to remind us, he spent uh, three weeks, right, three Sabbath Three Sabbaths he spent in this city. And this is kind of Paul's MO for church planting. He would roll into one of these major cities in, you know, Greece or, or at, you know, in, in the kind of the, the Asia area. Roll in with his buddy Sylvanius or S- Silas. He would go to the closest synagogue. He, you know, I just picture him walking the streets and it's like, where's the most influential synagogue? I want to go to it right now. So we'd go up to that synagogue in that city, you know, knock on the door, talk to the synagogue leaders. I, I'm often like, why would they just let him start talking? You know, it's just like, can you imagine like a random guy coming in and be like, I have a message for you guys, and Brian just letting him come up and talk? Like, that, that's kind of what it feels like. But I feel like he would go, bust out his resume, be like, I am a crazy, like, I was totally Jewish. I've memorized all these verses of the Torah. I've killed all these Christians. I'm like, legit, you should really listen to me. And so they'd be like, okay, go, go ahead, come on up. And so he'd go talk, and I just picture the synagogue rulers after like a minute of him starting to talk, they're like, oh gosh, this was a really bad idea. Because there's Paul. He's like, Jesus is the way. Jesus, the one you guys crucified a few years ago, yeah, he's actually the son of God. And he's going to change this whole world. And so we get, he gives this whole message and he argues it really, really well. And then I just picture him slinking out the back and saying, hey, anybody who's interested, meet me out front and we'll talk more, Okay. That's what he did in Thessaloniki. He, he, he preaches, and then he meets with the people who are interested. And then he starts, it says he pours his life into them. So he, he tells them the message of Jesus, 
but then he also invests deeply his life into, into who they are. So after three weeks, it says that the Jews, they got mad, and so they started to persecute him, and they kicked him out of the city. So Paul's driven out of the city due to persecution, and now he's thinking about this young little fledgling church that had just started. He's, he's longing to be with them, and that's when he writes his letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And so a few of the elements from this book. So again, he's writing the, the, why this book is so important in the whole context of the Bible is that it's an amazing encouragement to this young church, this young, if you want to say young believer. It's for us who want to believe in, or, or, or read it and just be encouraged. It's saying, hey, we need to be encouraged in our young faith. We need to be strengthened in our faith. Read the book of 1 Thessalonians. What are the things that he reminds them of? They're like, you were chosen by God. When I came in, the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon you and you believed. You left all your old idols and you started following Jesus and Jesus only. He also talks about, talk about sexual immorality. He's saying, don't be sexually immoral, but be holy. And then he goes into chapter 5 and he gives them just super practical. Continue to work. Jesus is coming back one day. Pray continually, all this kind of stuff. So a very practical letter. For you. So if you're a practical person, read 1 Thessalonians because practically it's going to encourage you and your faith. But today, we're going to be talking about this major, the kind of the middle chunk of 1 Thessalonians. And I believe that it's all about relationships and Paul exhorting us to invest our lives fully in relationships with others around us. So let's, with that kind of context, I'd like to read the passage. So this is going to be... Um, this is about 15 verses, and I feel like anytime you start reading more than five verses in a row, people start to check out, or it's easy to. So what I want to do is I want to say, hey, engage fully while we read this passage. If you need to pull it out in your Bibles, if you need to pull it up on your phone, do it. If you need to follow along the screen. But I encourage you, I feel like this is the most powerful part of my whole entire thing. I'm reading the Word of God, all right? So let's pay attention and key in on certain things that he talks about relationship, all right? So let's read. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow co-worker, in spreading the, the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly 
that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. Amen. So hey, today, again, just to remind us, I, wanna, I want us to see the present and the eternal rewards that we receive when we invest deeply in the lives of others by looking at Paul the way that he related to the Thessalonians. Okay, but first, I want to talk about the stock market. So I have a little slide here I want to show. This is a little picture of, uh, so I, I, I invest in some stocks. Actually, I, I just have an IRA. Uh, nothing, no, not that big. How many of you guys know anything about stocks or have invested in stocks or have some, some knowledge? No one. A few people. All right, great. So this is a little glimpse. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, stock investment tips and then hopefully draw some, uh, some points out of this. So if you look at this, this is what I get. I, I invest with Schwab and I get a weekly email from them and they tell me, Okay, last week, this was your performance. Last month, this is what happened. And then your year to date, this is what's going on. Now, if you look at this and you don't know anything about stocks and, and you just invested a chunk of money into the stocks, again, stocks, there's risks and rewards of stocks. There's risks because you could lose it all. The rewards, you can gain a lot of money. But the st- in stocks, if you see this, you see, wow, you just lost 0.45% of your entire portfolio in one week. And that's not a huge loss, but you'd really like to see that be very positive, right? So if you were a novice investor or didn't know anything about stocks, what you might say is, I got to get my money out. I got to get it out now because I got to put it, you know, underneath my uh, pillow to be safe, right? I got to put it in the cash that I know I have that cash. It's not going anywhere, right? But you know, many of you might know that that's not very wise financial decision making, right? In, in wise financials, you have to kind of understand you, you can't, you got, you got to be able to ride the waves of the stock market. You got to be able to ride the ups and downs of the market. And really the most important number is that last number, that year to date number, right? You got to say in the long run, this is, I'm, I'm actually gaining. So this was in July. That's not a bad return. If I could have gotten maybe closer to eight or or 10%, I would have been more happy. But for me, I'm saying, I'm not going to pull my stocks out just because I had a bad week. I'm saying, I'm looking at that year to date. I'm seeing the long-term rewards for my investments, and I'm going to keep it in the stock markets because I believe it's going to continue to grow. Could you imagine if our relationships, you got a weekly email about things were going in your relationship? You imagine with your wife, we had a bad fight this week, and we got negative five percentage points. You know what? I'm pulling out of this thing. I'm done. This is going to give me a long-term, oh, my goodness, I'm out of here. Are my children, you know, almost every morning it's a negative percentage points, but it grows over the day as I get to love on them a little bit more. Or your roommates, you, you Gordon students, Keith and I made it through five years, but I know that every roommate situation is not the best. Can you imagine if after one bad week you're like, all right, I'm going to go live outside or I'm, I'm living in some other room, right? Right? We don't do that in relationships. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. But actually, I, I shouldn't say that. Many people have that perspective on relationships, that we have the ability to just kind of pull out. 
we had a bad time, we had a bad week, we had a bad month. You know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to go on to something that's easier. I want to encourage us that this is not the right perspective to have in relationships, right? I think you guys can probably agree with me. We, have to, we can't just have this short-term view of, oh, I'm in and out in relationships. But we have to have a long-term perspective, like, a, like marriage, like a covenant relationship, like saying, hey, through the thick and thin, we're going we're gonna to make it through because we believe there's long-term rewards. And I believe that that's exactly what Paul is trying to tease out of this passage and remind and encourage the Thessalonians with. So I want to look at three things. I want to look first and talk about the risks that we have in relationships. I want to talk about the rewards that Paul kind of pulls out of this passage. And then I want to exhort us to be people who invest deeply in relationships. So first, why are relationships risky? Well, I think you might recognize this, but this world is completely centered around relationships. Everything that we, almost, you know, I am a father, I am a brother, I am a son, I am a cousin, I am a coworker, I am a boss, I am a director, and all those, all those things have these relationships with other people, right? And that's the way that God created the world. He created, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it says that he created the world for relationship. He created humans to have relationships with him, humans to have relationships with each other, and humans to have relationships with the whole world, kind of creation. So that was God's original intention. He made relationships. But I think the problem that we see or we've, maybe you've experienced is that there's a lot of brokenness in relationships around us. There's a lot of problems in the relationships when I view things. I see divorce. I see murder. I see lying, racism. I see addictions. I see anxiety, depression. You, I mean, you name it. There's, there's a, tons and tons and tons of things that, that it just makes relationships so difficult, right? I know I'm, I'm, you guys are all coming to mind probably things that you've experienced or walked through. I, I work with young adults down in, in uh, Brighton, and what, kind of the biggest thing that I see with young adults, or at least two kind of major things I see is uh, isolation and loneliness. Young adults, 20s and 30-year-olds, they, they often come to Boston for grad school or work or, or, or something, and it's so easy to become isolated. It's so easy to become in this world with our virtual kind of relationships. It's so easy to just become this like little island in the midst of all these people, right? And there's lots and lots of loneliness. That's one of the biggest things as I talk to almost any young adults. They're like, I just want more friends. I want more relationships, extended family, that kind of deal. So that's what I, that's what I deal with all the time in, in my work down in Brighton. I think as well of, of men, especially men. I think of older men. I think if you look at the trajectory of kind of friend, as men get older, the number of friendships that they have, it just seems to be that they start to decrease and decrease. Less and less and less men really know other men. It's, this, it's easy to become isolated. I'm picking just on men because I'm a man, and, I'm, and I, I often look, I'm 31, and I'm like, when I'm 50, am I going to have any friends? Like, I hope I do. I hope I continue to invest and have people get to know me, and I get to know them. Church hopping, this is another example. Kind of like, hey, you know, that's just the reality of, of church in, in America these days, in, in, in kind of the north, or, or the, the west, if you will, is that we have so many choices, and it's so, hey, let's, let's just try out this one, see what happens. If we like it, we'll stay. If not, hey, I'm going to go to the next one. If, they don't, if I don't like their teaching, I'm going to pull out. If I don't like the people in this one, I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to go meet some people over here. It's just the reality of kind of the church culture, unfortunately, in America these days. 
So I think that these things, these are, this is all an example of the brokenness that's come in to relationships in our world. And again, I believe the reason for that is, is and the Bible says it's sin. Sin is the thing that brought this brokenness into this world. So there's brokenness. And, and what this brokenness leads us to do, a couple different things. First of all, it, it is, is this idea of self-preservation. So because we've experienced brokenness and because we've experienced these bad relationships or things that have happened, what we do is we say, okay, isolation now protects me from pain, right? Isolation or, or hey, I, I got hurt once, so I'm going to pull back or I'm not going to invest in other people because that's a protective mechanism. I don't want to extend myself and then get hurt again, right? Rejection or fear of rejection. This is a classic example of why guys don't ask out girls, we're afraid to be rejected. We're afraid if we extend ourselves that someone's going to say, I don't like you. And then that's going to, oh, that just is devastating to hear that, right? So these, all these things that leads to, the, the final thing I see is that some people just say, I am totally relational, I'm at full relational capacity. Especially for you young families, and I'm in this world right now too, I think, oh my gosh, the thought of, getting to know another guy in, in, a, in like a friendship type of way or investing myself in someone else in some kind of discipleship relationship, it it's like, can feel overwhelming because I'm like, I have enough to do with my work, my family, my wife. That's about all I have capacity for. So we have this, these feelings that I just can't do anymore. I don't have any more relational capacity. I've been there. I've felt all those things. But as I've read 1 Thessalonians I've been exhorted and encouraged to think of it in a different way or see relationships in a different way. So I want to look at Paul's example, the way that he lived his life, the way that he extended himself, opened himself up to the Thessalonians, and also some of the things that he believed about relationships. I hope it encourages us to, to go there again, to risk it again, to invest your life in relationships with other people. How did he do it? So in Thessaloniki, again, he spent only three weeks there, right? He spends just a short amount of time, and yet this is some of the comments that it said about him or that he says in his book. He says, you imitated me in the way that I lived. So in just three short weeks, the way that he lived his life, already the Thessalonians were like, hey, we're looking up to you. We want to we live the way that you did. That's, that's a man that opens his life to other people and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life the right way. Follow my example. In chapter 2, there's these two comments that Paul says, I was like a mother and I was like a father. I was like a mother who cared and nurtured for you. I cared so much about you in my short time that I was there. And then I was like a father who encouraged, exhorted, and urged you to live a life worthy that you've been called in God. So he's this parent. Paul is this parent, parental figure. Deeply caring for these young believers. In chapter 2, verses 8, he said, I didn't come just with the gospel, but also my life as well. I opened it to you so you could see how I was to live. And then in chapter 3, what we just read, we see that he sends his closest co-worker, Timothy. He's like, I so want to know how you guys are doing that I'm sending Timothy to travel to you to just get an update on how things are going. And praise the Lord, it was an amazing update that he got back. So I see that Paul invested himself fully in the community that he was in. He gave himself fully to those around him. And he gave his whole life to people. And I believe that the reason 
that there is a, is a distinct reason why. And that was because he knew the rewards of relationships. He knew the risks. He knew that they, he might go and share the gospel. He might go invest his life, and they might just flat out for, reject him or say, I don't, hey, I don't want any of this. He knew those risks going in. But I think he knew even greater the rewards of relationship, and that's what keeps him in this mindset of, I'm going to go, share the gospel, disciple, give my life fully to people that I'm around. And so that's what I'm going to focus on. That's the rewards of relationship. So I want to focus on two, these, uh, two verses in two different places of this chunk that I read. The first is this. In 2 Thessalonians, uh, sorry, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he talks about the eternal rewards of relationships and investing in relationships. And this is what he says. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So here's, here's what he's saying. When Jesus comes back, right? When Jesus returns, our, so call it heaven, call it eternal life, call it, call it we will be in eternity with Jesus. He's saying our hope in eternity, our joy in eternity, and the crown in which we will glory. Crown is just this biblical metaphor for rewards. Our crown in glory will be you, relationships, people that I've invested in. So he's saying, I shared the gospel, you believed in Jesus, I discipled you, I opened my life to you, I invested so deeply in you, and you are going to be my hope, you are going to be my eternal joy, you are going to be my eternal rewards in heaven. It's people, it's the people that we've invested in. When I read this, I was like, it is so worth investing your life in people. It's so worth sharing the gospel and wanting to see people come to faith. It's so worth discipling. It's so worth opening your life to other people and encouraging them, exhorting them in their faith. And I believe it's definitely talking about like leading people to Christ, but I think it's more than that. It's, more, it's just who are we investing our lives in? Who are we sharing our lives with? I believe that that will be our hope, joy, and glory one day in heaven for eternity. So this is eternal perspective on the investments that we make here on earth and the people that we're around, the people that you guys invest in this community, you guys will be celebrating. They're going to be your joy one day for eternity. Does that encourage you to, to, to invest in one another? Does that encourage you to, to get to know one another in a deeper way? There's eternity that's at stake. There's a, eternal rewards that I believe Paul is trying to tease out or, or remind them that that's the reality. Second thing is this. In, in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, there are present rewards to relationships. And again, I, I just sat on these verses for a long time as I was reading it this week and just saying, these, this is amazing. So again, he just hears this good report that the Thessalonians are following Jesus. They're standing firm in their faith. And this is what he says in verse 8 and 9. He says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? So he's saying, I really live now because you are standing firm in the faith. I have joy in the presence of God because you are standing firm in the faith. The relationships that he invested in, he's actually having more abundant and full life and joy in the presence of God because 
they're doing well in their faith because they're standing strong in, in their faith. And I've experienced this. You know, I have the distinct privilege of directing a discipleship school. So I have people that sign up and say, hey, I want to know God more. And I, wanna, I want you to walk with me this year in a close way and, and, and encourage me in my faith. And so this year, Leslie and I, we just hit 50 students that have come through our discipleship schools. And, and for me, some of my greatest joys, some of, my, some, of my, some of the things that bring me the most joy even now is when I see some of my students, see some of these people doing things for God or, 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 or following him closely or making hard choices to follow Jesus every single day. I think of my, my family. I, I have a younger brother and an older sister, and they're both married, and, and both of them and their, their spouses are following Jesus. And I, and I think especially my younger brother, who I've been able to invest a lot of my life in, a lot of influence in his life, and, and he's now walking very firmly with the Lord. And, and let me tell you, it, it is one of the most joyful things for me to know that my younger bro is walking with the Lord. It's so joyful. I think of Sean Brennan. I think of these guys that were in my original faith group here with Josh Booth, and I see that they're still here. They're still coming. They're still making choices to follow Jesus, and I'm overwhelmed with joy. I think of Keith. Keith and I, we, we loved Jesus together at Gordon College, and then it's been years since we've been in school, but now he's still walking faith with the Lord. It just brings me such joy when I see Keith's life and the choices that he's making. So we have eternal rewards, joy, hope, crowns, and we have present rewards. We can live more fully. We can, we can live in the presence or, or have joy in the presence of God when the people that we've invested in are walking faithfully and closely with the Lord. And again, I see this from the way that Paul interacts with the Thessalonians in this chapter. So as I wrap up and, and as the band comes up, what I want to do is encourage us in this. So, so you might be saying, how in the world do we do this? You know, I, I, I'm feeling like I, I'm, the self, I'm self-preserving. I don't want to invest in relationships. Or I'm totally strapped. I'm totally overwhelmed right now with the amount of relationships. I don't have any more relational capacity. Or I'm just fe- I have a fear of rejection. I have a fear of letting people really know who I am because they might reject me. I have a fear of really going deep with people because they might reject me. That's the total reality. But I, I want to encourage us it's worth it to take the risks to invest yourself in other people and to, and to open your lives to other people because we see these rewards. But how do we actually do it, Phil? And this is where I want to end in this last part of this chapter, chapter 3. It's an apostolic prayer. An apostolic prayer is just one of the prayers that Paul writes in one of, in, as he's writing some of the churches that he founded. And he says, now I'm going to pray for you. And then these next verses. That's just an apostolic prayer. That's Paul's prayer for his churches. And this is what he prays over the Thessalonians. He says this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. I love this prayer, and I, and I encourage you to take this prayer and start praying it over yourself and praying over the people you know. I just love what Paul does here. In the beginning of each of these verses, he says, may you, God. So Paul has just this perspective of, I need help. God, 
help me. And he says this, now may you make a way for us to have relationships. So I just think, simply pray this prayer. God, I want, I want to invest my life. I want to have those people that Phil is even talking about. He had this awesome life group. He's got this great friend in Keith. He's got this brother, this family, whatever. I want you to just start praying. If you believe, hey, I, I don't have those relationships, may God make a way for those relationships in your life. So may that be the start of your prayer. And then second verse, in, in verse 12, it says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. And so you just start praying, God, I have a hard time extending myself. I have a hard time. Right now, I'm totally strapped relationally. Right now, I have, I have a hard time opening up to other people. Pray that God might start working in your heart and just Start allowing the love in you to overflow and increase for people, for relationships around you. And then finally, this is, this is how we praise over the Thessalonians. May strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. And so I just, the way I take this one is just start praying over relationships that you have, that they might be strengthened, that, that as other people walk strong in the Lord, that might give you that joy that I was just talking about. Some, you might experience some of those rewards. Pray, pray, pray over those relationships you have. Gordon students, pray over your roommates. Pray over friends. Pray over those people that you're investing in there. Young families, pray. Pray over those, your neighbors around you. Pray that you might have a place where you can open your home for young adults to come in. I know it's hard to go out, but you, if you open your home and allow people to come into your place, invest in those relationships, all of you, who are those, you know, one, and this, I, I encourage us or I challenge us to think about this, is who are the one to three people we feel like we can invest our life in now? Who are the one to three people who you just feel like the Lord's saying, hey, I want you to go and invest in this person. I want you to go and, and open your life to them and, or invite them into your life like Paul did with the Thessalonians. So pray that apostolic prayer over your life. If you're having a hard time grasping this idea of risking it in relationship. So finally in response, we have one song. And I just want, it's going to be simple. First, I, it, we're going to have a prayer team here. And if, and if there's anything in you that said, hey, I'm, I'm one of those, I have a hard time investing in relationships. I have a hard time because I have, I'm, I'm an isolator or, or I self-preserve. Or, or if I uh, have, have, am totally overwhelmed with my own relational capacity right now. I just don't feel like I have any. We want to pray for you. Pray that that might increase. We want to pray that apostolic prayer over your life. And then secondly, I want you to ask yourself right now, as you're worshiping, just saying, hey God, who are the one to three people who I can invest my life in? Who are the one to three people, whether it's a discipleship relationship, whether it's initiating a friendship, whether it's opening your home to these people, who are those people that God's going to lay on your heart to bring into your life? Because again, he wants rewards, these eternal and present rewards for your life. Let me pray that prayer over us right now. Father, we just say thank you. Thank you for Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Thank you that we learn that there are eternal and present rewards to us investing in relationships. Lord, I pray that you would make a way for us to have relationships. I pray that you would have our love increase and overflow for people around us. I pray that just that this community, the harbor, would invest deeply in one another, that, that, that life groups would thrive because people just say, hey, I want to be part of a life group. I want to invest in that. That discipleship would happen like, like crazy. That people would say, I want to invest. I want to disciple another person in their walk with the Lord. That, 
that they would share the gospel and see people come to faith and, and have that be one of their, their eternal rewards in heaven is the joy of seeing come, someone come to Christ. So I ask that over us right now. And Lord, I just pray right now just in response that you would speak clearly and encourage us. I pray this in Jesus' name.